podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. What's good, boys and girls? Welcome into the Two-Footed Podcast on Friday, October 30th. It's almost Halloween. It is the weekend. It's time to enjoy yourselves, well, as much as you can in your lockdown-restricted lives. But we've got a full slate of Premier League games to get through. I'm joined today by producer extraordinaire, Mr. Guy Drinkle. How are you, sir? I'm good. I'm good. On a morning like this, where there's not much going on, I do appreciate the Sean Dice quote that came out this morning about the Grand Canyon. It is magnificent. For those that haven't seen it, Ian Wohn uh, did an interview with The Athletic talking about the eight years that him and Sean Dice have spent at Burnley, giving an insight into what it's like to work with Sean Dice, what it's like to live with Sean Dice. They share an apartment in Burnley because their family homes are in, I think, Nottingham for Wohn and Northampton for Dice. And uh, they obviously spend a lot of time together, and they went to the Grand Canyon once, and Daesh looked at it for two minutes, denounced it as a large hole in the ground, and went to leave. <laughs> <laughs> what a guy. Oh. What an absolute guy. That's the type of thing that I would do, but I mean, it, it's me, so you expect it. Uh, but bravo, Sean Daesh. It is, it is tremendous stuff. Uh, guy, we've got a full weekend of games. We've got We've got 10 of them to get through, so I think we should just get launched into this. Don't take up too much people's time on this uh, joyous weekend. Yep, and uh, starting off tonight, um, Wolves v Crystal Palace on BT Don't Buy at Box Office. Um, Strange start to the season for both of them. Hard to predict this one. This is a hard game to predict. Uh, and, and as everybody is, is by now aware, I am really bad at predictions. But this season especially, things are things are difficult to predict. Now, Wolves are pretty much at full strength. The only injury they have at the minute is Johnny Castro, who's been out all season long. Palace are without Tyreek Mitchell, um, who's been very good for them this, this year so far. James Tompkins is a doubt, but could play. Joel Ward is out. Uh, Connor Wickham is out, Wayne, Hennessy, Wayne Hennessy is out, and Nathan Ferguson is still ruled out. So a couple of players there that would normally start for them, so that does weaken them a little bit. I would expect Wolves to be the stronger team at home. Generally, Palace away from home come to sit in to try and hit on the counter-attack to use the pace and trickery of Zaha and EC if he plays and Ayu. And I think that's exactly what we'll see in this game. Wolves are a little bit fragile defensively. Um, wouldn't be a big fan of any of their individual defenders, but the collective unit does tend to work quite well. I can see Palace taking something from this game in normal circumstances, but on a Friday night under the lights, I do think Wolves will have a little bit more about them. I'm going to say Wolves win this one 2-1. 
Yeah, I think I think this is one that could realistically be anything. Uh, as you say, Zaha against that defence will be quite interesting. Um, but we'll move on to Saturday and half twelve kickoff on on BT as usual. Uh, struggling Sheffield United against inconsistent Man City. Yeah, I think that's a fair assessment of of, of City for sure. Um, Sheffield United have been really, really disappointing this week, this this season, and and this weekend without least Mousset, John Fleck. It uh, looks like Max Lowe is back uh, after the, the head injury he received, uh, but Jack O'Connell obviously is out as well. So that is three important players. You'd imagine if they were at full strength, O'Connell definitely starts. Fleck likely starts in the midfield three, and Lise Mousset likely starts up front with Brewster. So it is a big blow to be without all three. City, though, are not without their own injury problems. Um, Gabby Jesus is ruled out. Benjamin Mendy is ruled out. Fernandinho is ruled out. Sergio Aguero is ruled out, and Nathan Aki is a doubt. So they don't have a natural recognised number nine. It's possible that Raheem Sterling will play there. They've also played Ferran Torres in that role. So they'll have a little bit of an issue scoring goals, but Emeric Laporte is back, and that's massive for them. Um, Him and Ruben Diaz at centre-back. I think it's going to be a formidable partnership. Walker in at right-back. We know that Zinchenko's probably going to fill in at left-back. Uh, with Mendy out injured, unless he plays Canseo there, but I think it'll be Zinchenko. I think City will just have too much. Um, I don't think this is going to be a high-scoring game, in part because Sheffield United just can't score goals. Only one goal from play from their six games so far. I'm going to say City win this one 2-0. Yeah, I think it'll be interesting, because if, if Sheffield United, as you say, Max Law's back... I think Stevens has started to replace O'Connell, hasn't he? So maybe, maybe that's that'll be the same. Yeah, so Max Lowe might start yeah. a wing back. Now, when they played us, obviously, um, they did change things a little bit. Um, but yeah, I think Max Lowe could well start here. And uh, I forgot I was going to bring it up. Um, Lundstrom situation being quite public, does that stop him being yeah, an option? It's. I don't know. It's a strange one because obviously everybody knew last season that there was the contract was running down. Um, they had the off season to try and work out a deal. They didn't. He started this season. And he's in the team pretty much every week. So I don't know that it will change just because talks have, you know, broken down again. I think the best thing that they can do is is continue to play him. He seems like a, the type of fellow who's committed to the cause. We saw him against Liverpool last weekend, and he there's no question he was 100 percent committed in that game. So. I would keep playing him and try and at least maintain some sort of value because you're going to have to sell him in January as things stand because Sheffield United, they can't really afford to be losing players on free transfers. And there's a couple of clubs out there that would be you know, very, very keen on him. Crystal Palace, I think, would be a good fit. I think he'd be a really nice fit into what they are doing. Um, I think his style of play and his, his energetic presence from midfield would add something to that Palace team. So I would keep playing him personally. Yeah, I think it makes sense. I think they've got a few injuries there, as you say, with Fleck and Ben Osborne's play was played left wing back last week, so they might need uh, midfielders elsewhere. Um, but we'll move on. Um, again, Burnley, who have not started the season too well, and again, again inconsistent Chelsea. Um <sighs> Burnley have sprung the odd surprise, maybe not against 
Liverpool and City recently, but they have had the odd good result against these teams fighting for fourth. Could you see it here? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Um, now, Burnley are without Jack Cork and Ben Mee, and Phil Bardsley, Eric Peters, and uh, Johan Goodmanson will all get late fitness tests. My assumption is that the Goodmanson will play and the other two probably won't. Uh, Chelsea, nobody of note really out. Billy Gilmore is out for a couple of weeks, and Kepa is... is uh, they're calling it injured. I, I think he's just, you know, resting after his horrendous start to the season. But, um, you know, Chelsea, like you said, inconsistent. Good result in midweek, but Krasnodar are mid-table in Russia for a reason. They're a, they're a poor team. Um, we saw Chelsea turn in a, a bit of a stinker against United in that horrendous nil-nil draw. A pretty much a stinker against Sevilla as well. Uh, threw away... Uh, a comfortable lead against Southampton. So they obviously have issues at the back and they can be a little bit stodgy going forward. The The talent going forward is is unquestioned. When you consider Werner, Havertz, Tammy Abraham, uh, Hudson-Odoi, Pulisic, Zayic, I mean, they're Mason Mount, Ali Giroud, they're loaded in attack. But... Frank has struggled to get the balance right. He really has struggled to get the blend of of styles and and attributes right. Burnley, we know, are going to be compact, defensively rigid. Um, They haven't been as good defensively this year, obviously, with with Ben Mee missing out and and having to play play long, and he's not of that same calibre. I do think Chelsea should have enough to win here. And it's like you said, Burnley have had such a bad start, only one point from the five games. And uh, they did give Spurs a decent game last time out. I mean, this was their best performance of the season. And Spurs are better than Chelsea, but I still think Chelsea win this. I'll say, I'll say 2 1 to Chelsea, but I do think there is a, a way for Burnley to win this game. If Burnley can target Thiago hmm. Silva with the high ball. I think they can have real joy there. I think Chris Wood could really take him to the cleaners. If they can isolate on him with Chris Wood and get accurate balls into him and then get as many runners as they're they're willing to put forward into the box, I think they could have success here. I'll say 2-1 to Chelsea, but I do have a sneaky suspicion that Burnley could get something out of this game. Yeah, say if you start Rodriguez over Barnes or something, he can run off or something. I think that would work. Exactly. And you have mm. that little bit of extra pace. If you can get McNeil into the box, we'll try and get that service coming from your fullbacks rather than your wide players. Try and get Ashley Westwood and Josh Brownhill taking it in turns to get themselves into the box or even just to the edge of the box for second ball. I do think they can have success there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, that one is on Scar- uh, BT box office again. Don't buy it. So don't, don't buy, buy that, that one. Um, last game on Saturday, um, Liverpool v West Ham. Injury hit Liverpool, but West Ham have their own key injury in uh, Antonio, who's probably been their player of <laughs> the last few seasons. But I mean, since since the project restart, he he's been phenomenal. Yeah. He has. He's been really, really good, and it's a massive blow for them. It's super important against Wolves, Leicester, Spurs, and City. Um, obviously, came off with a little niggle against Spurs, and then felt it in the City game and had to go off. And 
that has ruled him out of this one. The only other player they're without is Ben Rama, who hasn't played for them yet. Um, he has a late fitness test to come, but it's unlikely that he'll play. Liverpool, on the other hand, I mean, it's just it's horrendous. You've got Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain 100% ruled out, Fabinho 100% ruled out, uh, Virgil van Dijk definitely ruled out. Now, Joel Matip, Naby Keita, Thiago Alcantara and Kostas Simicus are all 50-50 for this game. Um, if, if Matip is fit, I still wouldn't start him because there's a big Champions League game coming in the week. But if Thiago is fit, I would want him playing here because I think Liverpool can, can win this game if they dominate the midfield area. Um, same goes for Naby. If he's fit, I would play him. Um, Liverpool should have enough. I mean, obviously West Ham are on a good run of form. Eight points from the last four games, all against good teams as well. But there are weaknesses in that team. And Liverpool have punished teams that have played a back three against them. Now, West Ham's is much more of a back five than a back three. But if Mane and Salah can isolate against those outside centre-backs who were... um, Balbuena and Cresswell last time out, then Liverpool will have real success in this game. I think Liverpool win this game. I, I don't think... If they're at full strength, I think it, it will be quite comfortable. But without Fabinho, without Virgil, it's obviously going to be a lot tougher. I think a 3-1 win, but I do think they'll have some scary moments as well where West Ham caused them problems. I think Suchek will cause them problems the way he breaks into into the box, and, you know, when you get him and Haller, that's a lot of aerial power. So Liverpool are going to need to be on the game. I think Reese Williams likely starts mm-hmm. for, for Liverpool next to Joe Gomez. Um, it's not ideal to be starting such a young centre-back, but he is big and strong and physical, and I think he has a better chance of dealing with Sebastian Haller than any of the other options that are available. And like I say, I'd want to keep Matip for for Atalanta and for City. So I think I'd go with Reese Williams here. So I'll say 3-1 to Liverpool. Yeah, on uh, on Liverpool, I mean, obviously the injuries in midfield you mentioned, if, if whether they're fit or not. You mentioned uh, West Ham's midfield there of Suchek and Rice and mm. us playing 4-2-3-1 recently. I think this is a game we need... Yeah, I think it matches hmm. up quite I'd well. I think we need to go 4-3-3. I think it matches up quite well. I would go 4-3-3. Mm. I, I would go 4-3-3 in this game, I have to say, because I would want to dominate them in midfield and really force them back. Um, Suchek and Rice have worked really, really well together. It wouldn't surprise me if Moyes changed things ever so slightly for this game um, and maybe left out Fornals and brought in Mark Noble mm. and went 5-3 Bowen and Haller. So 5-3-1-1. Uh, and tried to be a little bit more compact, but at the same time, I do think uh, I do think Liverpool will have too much for them. And uh, agreeing with you, I, I would go four three three, especially if if Thiago and Naby are fit. Play them either side of Henderson or Wijnaldum. Yeah. Uh, I'd probably play Wijnaldum because I think like Henderson definitely took a bang to the foot in the in the Mitterland game. Now I know they said it was he was always coming off at half time, but that says to me that he's not fully fit anyway. You know, he was, wasn't was fit enough to start against Ajax, wasn't fit enough to play the 90 here. 
if they're trying to manage his fitness, Atalanta and City are massive games. So maybe you go Thiago, Ginny, Naby, and then you can bring Henderson on on 60 um, and maybe bring on Curtis Jones as well to, to freshen things up and, and not force 90 minutes onto Thiago and, and Naby when they're just back from injuries. I'll start, James. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. There's absolutely no circumstance under which Mark that would be Noble okay. versus James Milner would be amazing. I, I, I would like to see them both come on for about forty-five seconds and just collide in one tackle, and just see if the world spontaneously combusts. <laughs> uh, I do agree. I think it'll be a, a strange. I think it'll be a difficult game for Liverpool. But Haller is good in the air, but he's not really shown um, the quality consistently so I think he's much better in a yeah. two than he is as a lone strike he has to play in a two when he was really good for Eintracht Frankfurt he was playing up front with, with Jovic mm. and then you had um, Anti Rebic playing behind them and that system really worked well that hasn't been the case for uh, for mm. West Ham they never bought like they never really tried to play him and Antonio as a two and I think I if they did I think it yeah. could work I agree. It's strange, isn't it? Because Antonio loves the physical battle, but if you give him more space, it'd, I think that would work well. But anyway, we spent too long on this one. Uh, that's on Sky Sports. Um, on to Sunday, and starting off with a don't buy special, is Aston Villa v Southampton. Um, Southampton, um, we said may, have got, may surprise Everton last week, but wasn't really a surprise the way the game played out. That was kind of Batter them for the whole game. Um, and um, mm. Villa, their first slip up, and it was a big one. Yeah, Villa got walloped by, by Leeds. Uh, really disappointing performance from Villa, but Leeds were, were really, really good on the night. Uh, they are without Wesley, without Tom Heaton, and without Courtney House. Southampton are without Mohamed Salisu yet to play for them. Theo Walcott is back, having not been allowed to play last week against Everton because they're his, his the club that own him. Uh, Will Smallbone is out, and Musa Jenepo is out, and that one is a, is a blow, obviously, because he's a really talented attacking player. I fancy Villa to get the win here at home. They've been really, really good this season. Um, they're not missing anybody that would start for them, so they will be at full strength. I think we'll see a bounce-back game. I think the movement and, and physicality of Ollie Watkins will cause uh, problems for the Southampton back line. But it's in midfield where I expect Villa just to have a little bit too much mm. when you get that energy and that power of Barkley and McGinn, the defensive solidity that Douglas Louise provides, and you get Grealish's creativity off the left, uh, Trezeguet's work rate and his willingness to just constantly make those runs into the box. And then the two fullbacks, they offer really good width. Um, I think Villa will win this game. I think they'll win it two 0 Yeah, I think that could be a. Re- I think that could be the sleeper game of the weekend. Um, next up then it's uh Newcastle Everton. Um, I was trying to check Newcastle's result, and it's that forgettable. I can't even remember who they played last week. But as I said, Everton got um battered by Southampton last week. Um, Richarlison. St- Still suspended, isn't he? Um, Dinier's missing now as well. It's kind of adding to the wars, but are Newcastle a team to take advantage of that? 
I don't I don't think so. Um, Newcastle played out a very, very boring 1-1 draw with Wolves last weekend. And uh, they have um, John Joe Shelby ruled out, Jamal Lachelle's ruled out, Matt Ritchie, Dubravka and uh, Dwight Gale ruled out. Now, Everton, Everton is concerning how many players there without in this game. So, Cenk Tusen is out. He's got a serious knee injury. John Joe Kenny is still ruled out. Jared Braithwaite is ruled out. Um, James Rodriguez is carrying an injury from that late tackle that he put in in the Merseyside derby. Now, he played last weekend, but was nowhere near as effective and, and clearly looked like he was restricted. Luca Dina and Richarlison, obviously, both suspended, like you said. Seamus Coleman's still out. Mason Holgate's still out. And Jean-Philippe Gabaman's still out. So it does look like Ben Godfrey will have to start at right back, where he's not very comfortable at all. So that is one area that Newcastle could attack. But the rest of the the rest of the Everton team, obviously, they. Do you know? Actually, the more I talk with this, the more I think you're right. I think Newcastle could have a chance because Everton's whole left flank is out against Godfrey. Um, yes, yeah, so a maximum against against Godfrey and not having not having the delivery of Dina or the outball of Richarlison. And they've been massively important to Everton this season. That left-hand side mm. has been key to a lot of what they do. All the focus is on James Rodriguez, but what's making him so effective is mm. that ability to just switch the play to those players on the left, and now they're going to have neither Isn't of them. Isn't right-footed as well? He's a right-footed so left-back. No there's no natural width. He's a very good player, mm. though. Um, well, he's mm-hmm. a very good young player. I... I actually think you're right. I think Newcastle could get a point here. I think Newcastle will have to be more adventurous mm. than they have been in recent games. Now, they were pretty decent against Burnley, but hopeless against Man United. Like I said, very, very dour, dull game against Wolves. But they did stay stay in it right till the end and got their late goal to, to take a draw. I'm going to say I'm going to say 1-1. Yeah, I can certainly see that. I think San Maximum obviously signed his big contract last week, so if that mm. improves, albeit Newcastle and big contracts has history of <laughs> not working. Uh, well, that's the thing. This is a six-year contract, and the only contract they've given out longer <laughs> than that in their history was to Pardew, who they only stopped paying about a year ago, despite the fact that he left like six years ago. So... um it, you know, it, what it is, it mm. locks him in. And it Value, means that yeah. when someone comes knocking on the door to buy him, the price is going to be very, very high. Um, but he seems very, very happy there. He, he seems to be enjoying life on the tune. Uh, and it's good to see it. It's it's good to see these, you know, quality, high potential players coming into Newcastle, settling and, and wanting to stay. You know, that's important. Yeah, I think it's one of them clubs that just has an allure, doesn't it? Even even in the boring times of Steve Bruce, um, but yeah, I think I think this uh, this is a real opportunity for Newcastle. I think um, I still don't think they'll be fighting relegation. I think they'll just ball the way to mid table again, and then as soon as they get safe, they'll play top quality football again. It's a very strange way, uh, tactic by Bruce. Um, but we'll move on to probably the game um, on paper, at least of the weekend. In Man United v Arsenal, like when I was growing up, this was the game because Liverpool mm. weren't very good or were improving under Rafa, um, or even pre-Rafa, and Arsenal and United were just the two best teams in the country. But now it 
this almost feels like Pulis against Pardew. It's like very boring. Yeah, I mean, for for about eight years, from the late nineties into the early two thousands, this was the game. This was the rivalry. This is probably the defining rivalry of the Premier mm. League era. These two teams going head to head two or three times a season, always the marquee game, always the most hyped game talked about for weeks in advance and weeks in retrospect. Uh, it's seen it's seen everything. It has seen incredible games. It's seen countless red cards, a brawl, a flying pizza. It's seen an 8-2 win for United. It's seen Arsenal win the title at Old Trafford. Uh, obviously, the Robin Van Persie move, that was kind of after the game had lost its luster. Arsenal were no longer the force. Mm. They fell off first. Though they did sort of maintain a, a top four presence for a long time. Both sides obviously no longer have the legendary managers that led them in those battles, Ferguson and, and, and Wenger. The, the crazy thing, and I really feel, is that these games, these games were won and lost in midfield because they both teams had incredible midfields. You had Vieira against Keane. You know, you just had that quality. You had Beckham and Giggs and Scholes, and you had Perez and Gilberto Silva and Lundberg and Petit and Overmars. You just had these high-caliber midfielders. And now the midfield is arguably the weakest point mm. for both teams. It's definitely the weakest point for Arsenal. Um, and and I, I would argue it's the weakest point for United as well. But, you know, you, you look at United... Phil Jones is out, Baye is out, Martial is suspended, Jesse Lingard is out, and Alex Tellez is out. Um, Alex Tellez has, has has COVID. Lingard is no loss. Martial is, is a big loss, but that suspension is, is still running. They'll be close to full strength. I'll be I'll be curious to see if he'll go with the diamond again, like he did against Leipzig. And the thing is, United are are like the ultimate Jekyll and Hyde team this year. They're They've been really good in the Champions League. They obviously beat PSG and then hammered Leipzig. They've been absolute trash in the Premier League. Absolute trash. They had a good 20 minutes against Newcastle. And aside from that, they have looked like the worst team in the league this year, bar the four teams at the bottom of the league. Um, and even West Brom's first half against Chelsea was better than anything United have put forward. But Arsenal, they're so inconsistent. and. They've got Callum Chambers ruled out, Rob Holding ruled out, Pablo Mari ruled out, and David Luiz looking doubtful, which means Mustafi will have to play. Mm -hmm. So you're already starting at a negative. Um, Gabriel Martinelli is, is ruled out as well. But, you know, Mustafi and, and Gabriel, Gabriel has looked really good so far, but he does tend to have you know, one error early in games then sort of settles in. In big games, Arteta has gone with a back three. So he could do it here. He could go Mustafi, Gabriel, and Tierney as his back three. And maybe go Bellerin and Saka as, as wing backs. Thomas Partey and... Xhaka would be most likely. Xhaka, maybe. If he wants to be solid, maybe go Xhaka. Now, he could play Xhaka at centre-back. He's, he did that last week. It didn't work at all. But he could try it again. Um... I think I think Arsenal will will come into this game looking to be really solid, really compact. They look to minimize United's opportunities. 
and they will rely on Aubameyang to pull something out of the bag. That is what their game plan is going to be. It's been their game plan in every big game under Arteta. And while it's admirable and it has gotten them some results, it does make them quite predictable. And United do have an exceptionally good 1v1 defender in Aaron Wan-Bissaka, who I think they might just park on on Aubameyang and just say, follow him. Wherever he goes, follow him. Uh, United, obviously, pretty much at full strength, bar Martial, should have enough to win this game at home. But their league form and their league performances have been so poor. I still think they'll win the game. I'll pick them to win 2-1. I don't think it's going to be a classic by any stretch. Both sides, obviously, tremendous attacking talent. Questionable midfields and, and slightly dodgy at the back. But I do think United should have too much for Arsenal in this one. I'll, I'll go 2-1 to United. You mentioned Aubameyang there for Arsenal. He obviously got the big new contract for an aging player again. Mm. And he's not really performed that well. Do you think that's more of the fact he's playing left wing and it should free him, but it doesn't seem to be at the minute? It's it's difficult. I, I think in a, in a, in the four three three, he looks a lot happier. Hmm. When they go three four three, they do tend to play a deeper defensive line and thus a deeper midfield line, which creates a big disconnect between that midfield and attack. And he tends to just end up having to drop really, really deep to try and pick the ball up and get involved in the game. Because Arsenal's big issue for the last, I suppose, two and a half years has been creativity and ball progression through the midfield. Now, Tomas Partey should help that massively, but he's still settling in. So, you know, you don't expect him to perform at his best straight away. You've also got to factor in he's coming from a very limited role at Atletico Madrid. And I don't mean limited in terms of playing time. I mean, he had a very specific, small mandate of these three things are what I want you to do, which is what Diego Simeone does to his midfielders. Saúl and Koke are, are slightly different. They get a little bit more rope. But we've seen the struggles that Rodri has had because he came from that very similar, limited sort of mandate. So for Tomás to fully explore the ability that he has... Uh, I think it's going to take a bit of time. And that's causing issues for Aubameyang because he's not getting not getting any help from you know from midfield. Now, Willian looks like he's back for this one. So you would expect he'll play. He will help. He can obviously, he's a decent passer to the ball. He's a good dribbler. Uh, he is creative. So that will bring something to the team. But it is concerning that Aubameyang's form has dipped just after the big contract. And, I mean, that is a contract that they're never getting out from underneath. That's another Oso contract. So they're tied to him for the long term. Mm. Uh, I don't know if I would have given him the contract personally. Because I, I, I look at Arsenal, I think, you know, you're rebuilding. You, you've got this really good young core that you're rebuilding. But then they got bring, bring in Willian on a big money free transfer. They bring in Thomas Partey on a big money deal. He's 27. So they've brought that older kind of mix in as well so uh, they're kind of stuck in between are you rebuilding or are you trying to win now and I don't know if that works um, especially under a young manager who's still trying to figure things out but yeah it is it is a bit concerning that he's dropped off the way he's dropped off they'll just win the FA Cup that's <laughs> what they do <laughs> pretty much that's what the, that's yeah. what Arsenal do in this in this era 
And I mean, look, that does, that's absolutely admirable, but it will only satisfy the fans for so long. Well, we saw it with Enger, didn't like, we? I think they can mm-hmm. get away. You know, like if they finish sixth this year and win the FA Cup or, or even win the Carabao Cup. The Papa John's um, Cup. <laughs> yeah. Like they're in the quarterfinal, they are playing City, so it will be tough. But I do think if they could win that and finish sixth, that is clear progression from last year's eighth place finish. So I think the fans would be satisfied with that. But then next season, they need to have a real, real bash at top four. Um, yeah, I, I think Arsenal are going in the right direction. They're just taking some little missteps and there's some little concerning things that we're seeing along the way. But all told, I, I think they're, they're going in the right direction. Just I think this will be a bump in the road for them. I think United will take the three points. Yeah, yeah. Um... I, this is probably the biggest game, so stick on it a bit longer. United, you mentioned playing the Diamond and stuff like that, but they have dropped Pogba in mm. a few of the last games. Obviously, he played against Leipzig and apparently did quite well. Because I turned off. I, yeah, he did. He, he played well. He played mm. on the left-hand side of the Diamond, which he is much more comfortable. Mm-hmm. But when he played at Juventus, they generally played that 3-1-4-2, which the midfield mm. is... is, is the one and the two, you look as you as you would have in a diamond. You have your holding midfielder or your deep playmaker at Juventus. It was Pirlo as a deep playmaker, and then ahead of that, you had Vidal on the right and Pogba on the left, and that worked really well. At United, he's been asked when he's played in a three to play on the right hand side of it, and it hasn't worked for him. It just doesn't suit him as much. Um, and the hilarious thing is that that is that right side of a midfield three is the ideal role for Bruno. Um, so they've just been, you know, misusing two of their players this well, whole he started, time. When Ali joined, he did a diamond at the start, didn't he? <laughs> then just stopped. And then just stopped and went away from it. And he uses it every so often, and it is effective for them. But the issue with the diamond is that fullbacks. you really mm. need quality width from your fullbacks, and Wan-Bissaka and Luke Shaw aren't really those type of fullbacks. You've obviously then as well got to factor in Matic as the lone holding player. He's going to get overrun. Now, Fred was was brilliant against Leipzig. Pogba got all the headlines. Fred was the best player United had until Rashford mm. came on. Fred Did was he exceptional. play deepest um, or one of the wide ones? He played one of the wide roles, but he was constantly just cycling mm. back in to help Matic. It was, it was really, really impressive watching him play. Uh, his positional awareness is is right up there with with the very very best. Fred is massively underrated, massively underrated. He is to United what Ginny Wijnaldum is to Liverpool. Um, his passing can be a little bit wayward, but defensively he's really really good. He links play quite well. When he moves the ball on quickly and doesn't try to take too much out of it, that's when he's effective, and that's exactly what he did in that game. He just got the ball and moved it on. He got the ball, gave it to Bruno, gave it or gave it to Pogba, gave it to Danny Van der Beek or gave it out wide, wasn't trying to take too much out of the ball, and it really, really stood out in his performance. So if I think they should go with the diamond again here. I would nearly roll out the same team, just bring uh, Rashford into the team alongside Greenwood, and maybe bring Bruno back in mm. for Donny, and, and just see how that works in this game. Because then, like as I've said all along, United's two biggest needs, holding midfield, centre-back. In the diamond, see how that works. Now, 
potentially Juan Bissaka can become that centre back and you can buy that, you know, attacking right back, or maybe Brandon Williams is that attacking right back to give you a natural width in the diamond, but I think Ollie should should stick with something. I mean, one of the one of the big issues with Ollie is that he doesn't really have a set tactical plan. And some people think that's great. Some think people think, you know, pragmatism is is next to godliness, but it's not at all. You have to have a foundational system. You just do. You need to have fundamental principles that you go to every week. Ollie doesn't have that. United are a different team most weeks um, in how they play and how they set up in terms of their defensive structure, their attacking structure. There's no points of reference in the team at all. And it, it, it it's almost as if he spends too much time planning for the Champions League and no time planning for the league games. Um and relies on the individual talent in his team to get him through league games. So I think that's what will happen here. I do think they'll have the individual talent to win this game, but Ollie, Ollie is just, he's just such a big question mark. He is such a big question mark. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And it'll be interesting to see how both managers in this game develop or their situation develops. Um, but yeah, we'll move on. Um, all these games are on Sky, box office, or two of them are on normal Sky. Um, Spurs v Brighton should be a good game on paper. Um, the very up and down Spurs, summarising that this week, um, losing to Antwerp, was it, yesterday? Mm-hmm. Um, strange team, I d- I'm not sure what team they played, maybe they took it lightly on Antwerp, but... Yeah, they did play pretty much a you know a reserve eleven, but they should have had far too much quality to win the game anyway. I mean, Gareth Bale played, Deli Ali played, Stephen Bergvine played. They you know Harry Winks played, Lacelso played. I mean, it was a, a a really good eleven, but it was their backup eleven. Um, Brighton are are a concern to me at the moment. I I really had high hopes on this season. Uh, they'll be without Jan Bakash. Lewis Dunk is suspended. Davy Proper is still carrying an injury. Um, Christian Walton has heard he wouldn't have played anyway. Florian Andone is out for the season. And uh, Jose Isquerde is out for the foreseeable. Um, Lewis Dunk is the big loss there. But Proper is, is really important to them in midfield. And without Proper, they've been forced to play Ben White in midfield. And it's not working. Um, uh, Graham Potter has been a little bit disappointing this season. Spurs' only absentee is uh, Tanganga, who again wouldn't have played anyway. He's he's fairly well down the the pecking order at centre back right now for Spurs, despite being a very good young player. I expect alone in January is is probably the move with him to get him some games. I would expect Spurs to bounce back in this one. I think they'll have too much going forward. And I really do think Spurs have a have a, an outside shot at the title this season. I must say, they've got the best attack in the league this year so far. They've got the third best or joint third best uh, defense behind Villa and Arsenal. Um, there's a couple of other teams that only conceded eight as well: West Ham, uh, Wolves, Leicester, and Man City. So you know they've they've got good balance in the team this year. A little bit of inconsistency, like you said, but in the league they have looked pretty good. Their problem has been seeing out games. You know, you look at the Newcastle game, they should have had that game won and the last minute penalty or the 97th minute penalty that was given against Dyer 
And then West Ham, they're 3-0 up, absolutely coasting, eight minutes plus stoppage time left, and somehow only come away with a with a, a 3-3 draw. So that's a little bit concerning to me. The only other points they dropped were on the opening day of the season against Everton in a game they just didn't really turn up for. But when they have turned up this season, they walloped Southampton. They walloped Man United and looked really, really good against both. And obviously they beat Burnley 1-0 last time out in a, you know, a solid away win. Not the best performance, but a, a solid away win. Um, the Antwerp game, I think, is just a bump in the road. They've been, you know, they've been good in the, in the Europa League to that point. I think it's just one of those games where they probably overlooked them a little bit, but I'd expect that they'll bounce back from it, and I expect them to beat Brighton. And I think they'll be, beat Brighton fairly comfortably, if I'm being honest. I think they could beat Brighton 4-1. Yeah, I think this should be guaranteed goals. Just <laughs> how, many, how many for Tottenham is, is probably the... Uh... The biggest question, but yeah, I've been a fan of Brighton as well, and it's just strange. Um, they they didn't they didn't add what they mm. needed in the summer. They needed that big target man up front. They needed that reference point, someone that the likes of of Conley and Mope and Trissard could play off, and they didn't bring that player in. Um, and now we're playing Adam mm. Lallana in the in the front three, and it's just I mean he's. He's done. It's He's strange because the target at Nunes and then there was no one. Yeah, and then didn't yeah. buy anybody. At one point, it looked like they were going to sign both Darwin Nunes and Nico Gonzalez from Stuttgart. And in the end, they signed Danny Welbeck on a free. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. Like, it doesn't make any sense. And Danny, like, I'm not being, I'm not, I don't mean to be, to be mean or anything. Danny Welbeck has never been a good Premier League striker. You just need to look at his goal record. It's like one in nine over his career or something like Surely that. Surely you gamble on it's Sturridge not. in that situation. Daniel Sturridge sitting out there ready to go. He might take a couple of, like a, maybe a month or so to get up to speed. But the upside of Daniel Sturridge is a 20 goal a season striker. Mm. The upside of Danny Welbeck is six to eight goals. Because Sturridge did all right and in that's Turkey it. as well. Seemingly, yeah. Sturridge is a Sturridge, Daniel Sturridge is a great footballer. Danny Welbeck is just mm. all right. Yeah, it'll be interesting. It, well, I think this is the, every time I bring up Spurs, it's just how Spurs he can Spurs Spurs. <laughs> it's just a question going at every game. It, it will come down mm. to that. The only thing stopping Spurs winning this game comfortably will yeah. be Spurs, without question. Yeah. Um, that's it for the Sunday games. We'll move on to Monday. And if you really want to spend £15 on this game, you are either very wealthy or very stupid. Fulham v West Brom. Um, please, please don't. <laughs> like, if you're that rich, just... Do not if you're that rich, just get a helicopter and go watch it above. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, if you're if you're wealthy enough to watch it, like, if you can throw away 15 quid on this and you're not a Fulham or West Brom fan, you know, make it make a sizable donation to your your local you know food bank or your local homeless shelter. Don't don't spend your money on this game. Um, Fulham are without uh, Kamara, who's suspended for being stupid last weekend. Cabano is doubtful. Joki Manderson maybe has a chance of making it. He's back in training. I would say this game comes too too soon from. 
Kenny Tete is still ruled out. Terence Congolo is still ruled out. And um, Josh Onomoa, who wasn't actually included in the, in the Premier League squad anyway, he is injured allegedly, but it's an undisclosed injury, which leads me to think maybe he's not injured at all and he just hadn't been impressive in training, so that's why he was left out of the uh, the squad for the Premier League. For West Brom, Sam Field is out, Robson Canoe is out, and Dara O'Shea is out. None of them likely would have started. West Brom have started the season in better form than Fulham. They've got three points to Fulham's one. Um, they've looked a little bit of a threat going forward with uh, Pereira, Diangana, and now the addition of Carlin Grant, who got his first goal last weekend to, to salvage a draw. Um, I really like, oh, against Brighton that was, I really like that West Brom front three. I think the midfield has potential. I like uh, I like Conor Gallagher. I think he's a, he's a good player. I think uh, when you look at uh, Krovinovic, the other player they have in on loan from Benfica, he's got talent, obviously. And Jake Livermore is a, a good, solid holding midfielder. Maybe a little bit past his best, but still a solid player. The issue for them is that is that defense. I mean, it is just it's all over the mm. place. It really is all over the place. They make so many mistakes. They're relying on Branislav Ivanovic to carry everything and he's I mean the guy's I think thirty eight. And they got rid of Hagazi at this point week, didn't they? And Hagazi was sold without or lo- loaned without Billich knowing. Now he was out of out of favour, but at the same time, um he's a body and he's a useful defender. Uh on the flip side for Fulham, things have not gone well. Uh, I think it's fair to say things have not gone well for them. One point from their six games. That one point came against Sheffield United, who've also only got one point, um, which will tell you how, how the rest of their games have gone. Um, in truth, they should have won that game. They were the better side. They did miss a penalty. They should have put that game to bed. Um, Mitrovic missed the penalty and then gave away a stupid penalty at the other end. So, you know, not great. These two teams have the worst defensive records in the league. They've both conceded 14 goals. And you would think that means goals, but unfortunately, Fulham have only scored five. West Brom have only scored six. I do think I do think this could be a somewhat entertaining game, but I think it'll be entertaining in the same way. You, you know when you see someone on a trampoline and they go to do some fancy <laughs> trick and come down and miss the trampoline, uh, that type of thing. Or when you see some kid on a skateboard line up to do a big a big grind down a handlebar of a of a like a long set of steps outside and they miss and their testicles hit the bar and they bounce and then slide the whole way and end up on the ground in a, a flood of tears i think this game will be entertaining in the same way that is entertaining um i'm going to suggest it's a draw i i think it'll be a score draw i think i'll go 2-2 uh, but if I was to pick a winner, I actually think I would pick West Brom to win it. I, th- I think there's more chance of West Brom winning it than Fulham. And obviously Burnley have a tough game this weekend with Chelsea. City, or Sheffield United have a tough game with City. If West Brom could win this game, they could leapfrog Brighton, who obviously plays Spurs. That'll be tough. But at worst, if Brighton even got a draw or, a, or won... West Brom would still create a five-point buffer between themselves and the bottom three. And 
I know it's really early in the season, but that would still give them good confidence going forward. And I think it could be one of the nails in the coffin of Scott Parker as manager of Fulham. Uh, the last time they came up, they waited 12 games before sacking their manager. They had five points after those 12 games. Fulham have won after six, but after this game, they go to West Ham, then they host Everton, then they go to Leicester, then they go to Man City, and then they host Liverpool. That's their next six. Mm. So if they don't win this game, there I just don't see any possible road to even five points for them after 12 games. West Ham, maybe you, t- t- you get a point. Everton should have everybody back by then, so you would expect them, not everybody, but you, they'll have Dina back and Richarlison back, so you'd expect them to win that game. Um, you'd expect Leicester to beat Fulham, City to beat Fulham, and Liverpool to beat Fulham. So I, I genuinely think if they fail to win here, I don't think they can even match that five points after 12 games that caused uh, a sacking the last time they were in the league. So I do think this is a must win for Scott Parker, and I just don't think he's got it in him. I, I don't think he's good enough at this level. Their performance last weekend was shocking, genuinely shocking. I think he, I think he's a lame duck mm. at this point. It, it is strange because I think the best thing for Parker would have been another year in the championship. For sure. A hundred percent for sure. And it might have even been the best thing for mm. Fulham as well. Now, coming back up so quickly did allow them to bring Zambo and Gisa back in rather than, I'd imagine they would have had to sell him. And he is tremendous. Like, he is, he could unquestionably play for pretty much any team in the league. Like he would, he would improve United. He would improve Chelsea. Uh, I don't think he'd get it. Well, he, with Fabinho not in the team, he'd probably get a game at Liverpool, but he wouldn't get in the Liverpool team. He wouldn't get in the City team. I'd still take Ndidi over him, but I'd love to see him and Ndidi play together. So I think they offer different mm. things. Um, but outside of them and Spurs, those three and Spurs, I think he'd start for pretty much anybody. I, I'd have him 100% over Decore for Everton. I would have him over John McGinn for Villa. Uh, I'd have him over anybody bar Partey for Arsenal, so him and Partey in midfield, which if you're playing 3-4-3 three, three, uh, would work really well. He'd obviously start for United over Matic. There's no, there's no question about that. Um, I, I do. I think I think bar maybe four teams. I think he starts for anybody in the league. I think mm. he's really really he's still good. Young as well. And been, and he's he is still young. So that you know somebody's going to pick him up. I I don't see that he'll be there next year unless they stay up. If they stay up, yeah, he could stay there for a couple of years and he could be somebody that they build around. You know, and and that will work because if they could keep Joe Kim Anderson. Uh, after this season, if they stayed up, then you have him at centre-back, Anguissa in midfield, and Mitrovic up front. That gives you the beginning of, of your team. Um, whether or not they keep Ariola, I have no idea. They'd have the money to to do it. Um, and maybe they could keep Loftus-Cheek as well. Maybe, you know, Chelsea. Him. He's a good young player. If they could keep Luckman, I mean, all of a sudden you'd start. To, they've got the full-backs. Uh, Ola Aina, I think, will stay there if they stay up. Kenny Tete obviously is theirs now. Anthony Robinson at left back. All of a sudden, you are starting to piece together a, a quite a good team. 
Mario Lamina could stay there. I mean, there is so much, there's so much talent at that club. There's a couple of questionable players, to be kind, but there is lots and lots of talent at that club. There may be only one or two players plus a, a, a proper manager away from being a solid mid-table mm. team. Like, if you could roll out Ariola, Aina, Tosin, whose surname I can't pronounce, Anderson, and Robinson, that's your goalkeeper you're back for. That, I think, is is as good as a lot of mid-table teams in the Premier League. You've got Anguissa and, and Lamina in midfield. That is a match for pretty much anybody. Uh, Loftus-Cheek is your 10. Luckman off the left. I think one more off the right-hand side. And Mitrovic up front. I, I genuinely do. I think... I don't... Tosin, maybe... Maybe you'd want someone of a slightly higher level than him right now. A bit more of an established player. Um, He's better but, than Tim Reed. You know, one or, <laughs> He is a lot better than Tim Reeman. He's an awful lot better than Dennis Adoy. I mean, the fact that Dennis Adoy was even... You know, when they came up, it should have been lucky. Yeah. We tried this two years ago. It didn't really work for us. You, you were a little bit exposed. So we're going to just... We're going to just let you go. You, you have yourself a, a pleasant life. We're, we're going to move on. Um, but yeah, I mean, they are. I think they're one or two players away from having... A solid midfield eleven. Parker's just a big issue for them, though. What 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 do you do there? I mean, they tried with Ranieri last time. This is just easy to go. The big Sam cloud in the sky, the Batman <laughs> signal in the sky. It, it it could well be. It that could well be the play here, just to keep themselves up. Um, he it's it it is something he's he is good at. I mean, as much as you can dislike the style of football, and, and what the reason I dislike the style of football, and people will say it's hypocritical for me to say I dislike the style of football when I when I like Sean Dyche, but the reason I dislike it when Sam does it, Sam Allardyce at Bolton, and that Bolton team played fantastic football when he had JJ Kocha and Yuri Jorkayev. And when he had an Elke, they played great football. And then he went to Newcastle. Things didn't work out well from there for whatever reason. And when he turned up at Blackburn, he had just become a different manager. And it had become this sort of long ball dreck. And that's kind of what he still is, is a long ball dreck manager. Um... And it, it, the reason I dislike it is because I know he doesn't actually want to play that style of football. Because what he wanted to do was what he did at, at Bolton. And I think if he could recreate that, he'd be a much better. Um, but yeah, it does It does seem like he is the elephant in the room, isn't he? I mean, there's, there's no one... I mean, Pochettino is not going to go there. I mean, they could offer him... They could afford him. They could offer him a mega salary. But I just... I don't think Pochettino will go to Fulham. Uh, they could afford Allegri, but again, he's not going to go there. So you do have to be a bit more realistic about it. And Sam is kind of the only one out there. Yeah, and to be fair, it's kind of it's working at West Ham. I know a bit different, but if Sam still, I don't know, say if they did hire him, keep him for free. And Sam's a better manager. Oh than yeah, most. I'd agree with that. I mean, you know, Sam is a better manager than most. I mean, the the only other one out there, and it's the same. Mindset, it's the same style of football, but Armand Tony, 
I think Tony's a bit worse. <laughs> but but I, but but Tony, yeah. I think I think there's there's a bit of a stench off of him after yeah. after Middlesbrough. Um, and obviously it was it didn't go well at mm-hmm. West Brom. You know, it's been a long time since we saw the good Tony Pulis, but even like the good Tony Pulis, like career record, right? 1,127 games managed at Bournemouth, Gillingham, Bristol, Portsmouth, Stoke, Plymouth, Stoke, Crystal Palace, West Brom, and Borough. 1,127 games managed, 409 games won, 334 games drawn, 384 games lost. And bearing in mind, quite a bit of that was in the lower leagues. Mm. You know, so, I mean, like, Bournemouth was lower league, Gillingham lower league, Bristol lower league. When he was at Portsmouth, I think they were championship. Um, Stoke the first time championship, Plymouth lower leagues. And then he obviously brought Stoke up. And he had seven years at Stoke, but he had a 36.6 win percentage, which... Isn't great, and when you consider the amount of money he spent there, it's it's also not particularly good. And I've gone off on this tangent <laughs> about Tony Pulis, but I mean, it just is what it is. He's he's he just, you know, we we've we have our own joke where we where we you know abuse Carol Matchett about Tony Pulis on on the Scouted podcast, but um, he's just not very good. Whereas Big Sam, I, I think Big Sam has been a good manager, and if yeah, that's. That is who I would go for. I wouldn't go for him on anything more than a contract till the end of the season. And, you know, you're going to have to give him a hefty bonus if he keeps them up. Work but I Everton. do think Sam is the type <laughs> of manager that keep them up. Everton, Everton were like 11th. 11th. And they gave him a, a contract <laughs> with a 6 million bonus if he kept them up. They were 11th when he took mm. over. And they finished 9th. And everybody said he turned things around, which is tough. David Unser turned it around. Uh, but yeah, for the, they need to address it. E- even if he beats West Brom, it's still the championship team you came up with. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly the thing. And you've got your next five games are brutal. And then if you lose all of them, you've, you've got four points from 12 games, which, um, you know, you sacked the last guy for five points from 12 games. So, you know, and it's... It's, it's probably a better team, this one, as well. Yeah, well, that's that's kind of the thing. It, it, this team is better than that one. This team was at least put together with a bit of thought. But like, even say after Liverpool, they've got Brighton, which won't won't be easy. Won't it's not one of the tougher games. But then they go to Newcastle, Southampton, away to Spurs, away to Burnley, at home to United, at home to Chelsea, uh, away to Brighton. I mean, that it doesn't really get it doesn't really let up. The schedule doesn't get easier. And if they're continuing to perform at the level they've performed at thus far, it is really hard to see that they'd even pick up 20 points this season. You know, that, that's definitely not getting Can they beat up. the Derby record? Definitely... No, I don't... I don't... What is it? I think it's 11, is it? 11 or 12. I think Sunderland was 12 and Derby was 11, if memory serves. Yeah, I think you're right. I think it is Derby. Um, Sunderland had had it before, and then Derby, uh, eleven points. I mean, that is that is impressive. <laughs> amazing. They took three points away from home all season that year. Derby County, oh seven, oh eight. Uh, so, so Sunderland had taken seven points at home in the in the oh five oh six season. I mean, if if that is what happens. 
if they do end up in that sort of ballpark with the money that they've spent over the last few years, I really do think the Cans will need to take a long, hard look at whether or not football ownership is for them. I've already said I don't think um, I don't think Tony Khan should be the, the general manager slash director of football slash whatever else he is, as well as running uh, AEW Wrestling and having an active role at the uh, Jacksonville Jaguars and having an, ac- an active role in the family business. I think they, they sell tools or something. I'm not 100% sure where uh, Syed Khan made his money. Something to do with, with tools. Something to do with tools. But, um, he, you know, Tony Khan is just spread too thin at the moment. And the guy lives in America. So, like, he, he can't run the day-to-day of Fulham because he's just not there. If anybody wants to speak to him, they can't just go and knock on his door. They've got him, They've got to ring him and try and find a time when he's available and there's a five hour time difference between London and Jacksonville. So, you know, it's, it's not ideal. Um, hopefully they don't. Hopefully not. God, nobody wants to see an 11 or 12 point season ever again. <laughs> It'd be interesting. But speaking of tools, um, Brendan's up next. Um, That's harsh. I, I, harsh I on the saw broad. an opportunity and I took it. You can act all professionally on AI. You'd be laughing. Um, on AI, I'd be saying worse. <laughs> uh, Leeds v Leicester. Um, this should be a, an interesting game. Obviously, Leicester have, again, got a few injury problems themselves, but seem to have mm. settled in it. In, obviously, Fafana's came into the back line um, in Sionchu's absence. Uh, Vardy, I think he scored last night, didn't he? So he, he must be back, maybe, maybe not starting yet. But uh, this should be a good game on paper. Yeah, so I, I actually think this is the most exciting game of the weekend, just from the point of view of both of these managers want to play high-tempo attacking football. Um, but both teams have, have some key injuries. So for Leeds, Calvin Phillips is out, and Liam Cooper is out. That's their you know their, def- their midfield linchpin and their captain. Um, Diego Lorente is still out with the injury that he had when he arrived. Uh, Berardi and Forshaw ruled out as well but Leicester are ravaged with injuries at the minute so uh, Ricardo Pereira obviously hasn't played all season uh, Wilf and Didi's out for a couple of months Sionchu's out for it looks like the foreseeable future I mean when it happened they were saying that it'll be like late January before he's back so that's three of your most important players it's your two defensive linchpins the two bedrocks of the team, plus your best attacking outlet. Now, they've gotten away with Pereira's absence because Tim Castanier has been playing pretty well. He's now ruled out. So, James Justin's going to have to play right back, which means that... And he's been playing left back, Mm. which means that I assume Thomas will play left back, and he hasn't played much in the Premier League, if at all. So that's a blow. Maybe Fuchs. Yeah, maybe they go with Fuchs and just go with the experience. I mean, I, I think that would he, I think that would leave them open to some, some issues because Fafana, like you said, has started brilliantly next to Johnny Evans. Johnny Evans is out of this game as well, by the looks of oh, things. Yeah. So that probably means Wes Morgan has to play. So if you've got Wes Morgan and Fuchs side by side, 
that's a lot of years. That's a that's a slow left hand side of your defense. Um, it, it, that is a concern. So with those injuries, I think Leicester are going to struggle. Like you say, Vardy is back. The attackers are all back. They're all fit. They're all flying. But missing their holding midfielder, mm. both normal starting centre backs. You you would actually you, you would say if you looked at Leicester, like their first choice back four if everybody was fit would be Pereira, Evans, Sionchu, Castanier. That would be their back mm-hmm. four. They're all ruled out. That's massive. You know, it really, really is massive to have all of your defense ruled out and your defensive midfielder. So it's going to be makeshift, and we know that Brendan's not particularly good defensively. So I think I think Leeds win this game. I think when we look at Bielsa, he's so good at planning for individual matches, and he's so good at just making slight tactical tweaks like we saw against Villa. I think he'll go with a similar approach to what they used against Villa. I think they could get a similar result. I don't think they'll win 3-0. But I I could see a 2-1 win here. Mm. I think they'll have a little bit too much. And I think Bamford and Rodrigo will cause problems for um, for Wes Morgan. Fafana will deal well because he has been really good so far. But I, I I mean, whenever Wes Morgan has played, he, he for the last year and a half, he has looked like a guy who is clinging on to the last days He's of his He's on the coach career. and stuff for a reason. <laughs> Exactly. I mean, that's the thing. Do you know what I mean? He he, he is transitioning to the next phase of his, of his life, of his career. He, he really shouldn't be playing. Now, the thing is, it didn't have to be like this because they obviously own Philippe Benkovic as well. Um, but they loaned him out to Cardiff for reasons known only to Brendan. Yeah. I, I don't understand it at all. I do not understand why they took that decision to loan him. Well, to indeed, Cardiff. he seemed to be the backup centre back before they got Fafana, didn't they? So that mm. he's kind of well, for, it's Fabinho for Liverpool. It's screwed in two positions. Exactly. It's the same sort of short sighted thinking that yeah. Liverpool have suffered with. Um. So yeah, I I think Leicester will struggle mm. in this one. Um. I'll go two. Yeah, we, we've seen Brendan struggle with. Tactical managers in the past, like Mourinho, Rafa, and Newcastle days, give him problems. Exactly, there. exactly. They're they're the type of guys that just mm. outthink him in games. He's not the best at in-game alterations either. Whereas Bielsa does thrive in that sort of thing. Um, I think the physical side of Leeds as well will will help them. Like they've just got a lot of guys that will just run and run and run all day long. So. Yeah, I, I think Leeds. I think Leeds continue their good form, pick up another win, and uh, and that wraps it for the weekend. That is all ten games previewed and predicted. As always, if I have predicted your team to lose, do not worry; they will most likely win because I suck at predictions. But they're fun to do. It's nice to have Guy involved. So, um, hope you enjoyed yesterday's uh, Twitter questions. I think we're going to do that every Thursday from now on uh, because it is quite fun. So. If that's okay with everybody, we'll keep doing that. Uh, and that's it. That is the show for today. Thank you, as always, for listening. Thank you to producer Guy Drinkle for his uh, his assistance today and his assistance every day. Thank you to Fox Haunt for our title music. Thank you, as always, to Liberty Shield for keeping the lights on. Uh, Liberty Shield, obviously, the VPN provider. Check out their services at libertyshield.com. And do use my code, EPLVPN. You'll get 20% off 
it is a very very good subscription uh customer service wise it's absolutely outstanding as well so everything you want with them you get and that's it thank you very much enjoy your weekend i will see you on monday bye-bye Podcast Network.